The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicalemag. Hello, I'm Matthew Curtis, and welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. Pellicle is a magazine devoted to exploring the worlds of beer, wine, cider, food and travel, and the joy we find within these cultures. In our show, we like to dig into the stories of the people, products and places that make the food and drink we love so vital. Our aim is to bring you folks closer to these cultures through our shared enthusiasm, all while hopefully bringing these worlds closer together in the process. Today's show is part of a series of panel talks recorded at 2019's Fine Fest, the annual festival held by Fine Ales at the home of their brewery and family farm in Cairndow, Scotland. Fine Ales have been huge friends and supporters of Pellicle since day one, and it was a privilege to be invited to host these talks. We were gutted not to be able to return to the Glen in 2020 due to the pandemic, but are already relishing returning in 2021 with gusto. This episode is a debate about one of my favourite subjects, cask ale, and why it means so much to both British brewing traditions and to modern beer culture. Our panellists in this session were Stuart Ross of Magic Rock Brewing Company, Abbeydale Brewery's Laura Rangeley and Doreen Joy Barber of Cloudwater. Plus, there's a special guest appearance at the start from Cloudwater's Jay Krause, while we waited for Doreen to find the venue where we hosted these talks. Now it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to The Pellicle Podcast. Let's kick things off. Welcome to The Top Barn. Um, my name is Matt Curtis. I am the uh, co-founder and one of the editors of Pellicle magazine, which launched earlier this month. And we have uh, very kindly, uh, well, we asked Ian and Jamie at Fine Ales if we could host some panel talks at this year's Fine Fest, and they said yes. So here we are, and we've got a range of topics uh, uh, this afternoon, we're going to debate cask beer and its very existence. Tomorrow, we've got a range of topics from, from sours to brewing wine and cider hybrids to branding and independence. Uh, so we've got some really good talks tomorrow for you. But now we're going to talk about cask ale, which is constantly talked about. And of course it is, because it is uh, the, the, the signifier of British beer. It, it is the, it's the heart and soul of British beer. And, and that's why it, it, the debate is so tumultuous, because it divides opinion, how it's served, what it's poured through, um, what should be served on cask, what shouldn't be served on cask. It's fascinating. I love it, and I'm sure you're all here because you love it too, and I've uh, gathered a collection of brewers uh, that all love it too, brewers and beer people, because not everyone here makes beer, some people market and sell it, uh, but please give a very warm welcome to Stuart Ross from Magic Rock, <laughs> to Laura Rangeley from Abbeydale, 
and to Doreen Barber from Cloudwater. <laughs> who, I must say, Jay Krause, because uh, Doreen is trying to find the venue, we've got Jay Krause uh, sitting in uh, very fittingly. Thank you, Jay, uh, for volunteering at such short notice. And Jay, I'm going to start with you. What, why do you think Cascale is held up as the best thing about British beer by so many people? What is it that makes it so significant to British beer culture? I'd say the main thing about um, it being a British thing is that there's nothing else like it anywhere else in the world. Um, and certain countries try and make it as best they can, try and emulate what what happens in the UK, but it, it never works out as well as it does in the UK. So, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's completely unique to our culture. Um, and it's something that should be, you know, cherished and preserved. Um, Why do you think when you go to the US, for example, and they do cask, it's not quite the same as, as when you have it in a, in a great pub? What, what, what are they missing? At pubs. <laughs> it's a good answer. Volume drinking, like, um, in the way that happens in the UK, I think. Um, volume drinking definitely happens, but not in certain, like, craft bars, I don't think. Um, whereas there's, there's, a, there's a, a bit of a crossover in the UK where um, craft drinkers and, and kind of... Craft drink, let's define craft. Um, and traditional cascale drinkers will drink happily together in the same pub uh, at massive volume um, and I don't think the US has that culture because you have to drive everywhere uh, you can't just dag it home from the pub Stu's got something to add yeah I've, I've always found that um, they're always trying to make it something special yeah, it's in like a, a bitter, in a with, stronger way with you, something in it. You you go, you'd, you you kind of come across a bar in the states that's got a cask line, and it's a six percent brown ale, or an ESB at five and a half to six percent, or something. You know, something just like, and just like no, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's it's well, it can be that, but it doesn't it necessarily can yeah present the best in the best way as that uh, and it's usually seen as a it's not what 90 percent of what we drink over here in cask is sure it, I, I remember going to uh, my first experience of cask in the u.s i was at odell brewery and they do this thing called firkin wednesdays where they get a nine gallon cask and they'd taken one of their core beers sent lapulin and they'd shoved uh, habanero peppers and mango pulp into the cask Yay. and it was it was just flat and full of mango pulp and habanero seeds but that was their interpretation of, uh, of cask. I think our, our, our panellist, Doreen, is here. Oh, thank God. And thank, you, thank you very much, Jay, for standing in on that first question. <laughs> and, a, and a big round of applause to Doreen. Welcome. I'm glad you found it. Um, yes. Stu, Magic Rock is a modern brewery. Um, you know, you're doing West Coast IPAs, New England IPAs, all sorts of interesting stuff. But cask seems at the core of what you do. Why is cask so important to Magic Rock? Cask was um, essentially the thing that the me and Richard, as founders, had started our drinking um, 
in, in certainly our adult drinking was was centered around cask beer. Uh, it's what we loved. Uh, I know Richard from being from the Huddersfield area was drinking, um, certainly before Magic Rock, was drinking like Mallinson Citra and um, Timothy Taylor's Landlord, of course. Uh, they, they, they were the, the main kind of beers you would get around the Huddersfield area, particularly in the cask, the uh, cask pubs in Huddersfield as well. The, the, the Grove would have, always have, weirdly, like something from uh, Fuller's on something from um, Gad's as well, down, right down in Devon. Not Devon, uh, Dover. Yeah, Dover area. Um, so he was drinking that kind of beer. I grew, I'd grown up drinking like Tetley's and then I'm drinking Moonshine as well. It was one I remember drinking, Aberdell Moonshine in the Sheaf View when they had it on permanently shifting ridiculous numbers of 18-gallon casks a week. And um, I sort of my first... I guess about 19, I think, drinking drinking that in there. Probably not very long after Pat had founded Abidale. Um And then I'd got into the brewing industry producing cask beer with Kellam Island Brewery, a little bit with Acorn Brewery, and then uh, the brew pub I was working at in Sheffield, I was mainly making cask beer. I only really kind of experimented on the side with uh, carbonating and dry hopping beers. Um so that was that was in our blood that was what we we grew up on and we always started with the intention of having a cask beer cask beer as being a big part of what we made um so and it always was laura hi we know and love abbeydale and a lot of people's introduction to abbeydale in the last 12, 18 months might have been through your, your sours and the funk dungeon stuff. Would I write and yeah. say that's bringing a lot of people uh, to your brand and making a lot more people aware of you? I think it's making a completely different market aware of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I think the heart and soul of Abbeydale Brewery is far and away the cast market. Um, in 2019 so far, Obviously, we're only a few months into it, but it's the first time ever in the 23 years that Abbeydale's been a brewery that cast production's dipped just under the 90% mark. Uh, when I started there just over four years ago, it was on something like 99.5% cask. Um, we produce quite a lot of beer, so although it's a, it's a small kind of number, 10%, it's, it's a lot of beer that we're talking about. Mm. But the Funk Dungeon is... It's a small project uh, in terms of output. It's probably about 0.3% of what we're doing or something like that but it's quite it's it's in you know it's I don't want to use the word hype really but it's it's the kind of beer that the noisy beer drinkers want to drink and want to talk about you know you you kind of you're more rural pubs and that kind of thing and the people who go in there day in day out and drink six pints of moonshine every time they go in you know, they're not on on tap they're not on forums they're not they're not talking about what they're drinking but they're they're just kind of getting on with it on a it forms a huge part of their kind of just their daily lives how do you um, balance the, a desire to experiment with with keeping the focus on on cask which is your core driver for the brewery yeah well the moonshine's just over half of everything we produce uh, so it really is our bread and butter it's what it's what pays all our wages and it's what makes enough 
to keep the brewery going and that means we can kind of dabble in other areas experiment with other things um, and it's keeping that you know it's, it's absolutely imperative that every single batch we put out is consistent uh, tastes exactly as it should um, and it's something that's really familiar to people and that creates you know memories for people and all of that kind of thing and it's I really like that we have the kind of two different avenues that we're working with. Um, obviously, really important that one doesn't trash the other, but the fact that they do work alongside, that you know, it means that the people that drink moonshine trust us to try something and will come to us and be like, I can't believe I've just tried a sour beer and I quite liked it. You know, that's really nice. They might not go to a, to a bottle shop and buy a can of something that they're not familiar with. So it's that little bit of familiarity that really kind of helps to bring in new audiences to what we're doing and then on the flip side of that the people who've heard of us for the uh, more kind of experimental and out there stuff will try a pint of moonshine because they've heard of us and you know kind of accept it for what it is it's not the most exciting beer in the world but it's not it's not pretending to be that's not what it's trying to do uh, it's just something that's kind of a solid offering that you can merrily it's the kind of beer I think of as, as, as uh, the glue in between a situation. It's, it's, it's tasty and it's satisfying, but you don't have to think about it, whether you're having a conversation, you're in a, in a, deep in a book, it's, it's there and you're enjoying it, and, but you don't yeah. have to think about it and you want another one when you finish. Yeah. That's, that's good cask for me, really, that I'll sessionability. I'm, I've always said, obviously I work for Abbeydale, but I'm first and foremost a beer consumer. Um, and... I've kind of been very drawn into the world of always seeking out something new and something different. And actually, over the past couple of years, I've begun to find it really refreshing to just know that there's beers like Moonshine, like Landlord, you know, just things like that that you can just have and that you don't have to analyse and you know, critique as you're drinking and that you can just enjoy for the sake of enjoying them. Doreen, when Cloudwater launched, uh, there was you had two launches. I remember there'd been one at Mother Kelly's uh, launching your keg beers, and then one at uh, the Wenlock in Islington launching the Cass beers. And then for a, for a brief period, or it felt like a long time, Cloudwater stopped producing cask, but then returned to it and re seemingly realizing the importance of it. So I'd love you to explain why. What was the decision behind coming back to cask for Cloudwater? I know it's a big question, but. I think this would be a great opportunity to, to explain that to people. So I think for us being based in Manchester, first and foremost, like the Northwest is basically a um, really big cask area. And um, there are a lot of local pubs that would want to take cloud water beer. However, like their keg lines are tied um, and it's much easier to get our beer into them for cask. But that's not the only reason. I think... I think first and foremost, the fact that we love cask ale as like individuals, as beer drinkers in a brewery, um, like, like through, um, through drinking it and also in like, there is like kind of periodic demands for it of, uh, and I think when I started there, uh, nearly a year ago, there would be these kind of like little things of like, oh, we'll just kind of put some of the cask in from, from our keg range into this. And it just wasn't, it was good, but it, and it generated a lot of like excitement, but it just wasn't quite right as in far of like, as in comparison to brewing a recipe intending for cask. Uh, so all the cask recipe or all the cask beers that we do now, we 
write the recipe with cask in mind as the end format. Not all breweries do that. Um, there are some breweries um, that will have the same recipe, but like, I mean, obviously it tastes quite different because of the different formats, but like, it's still the same recipe. Whereas like the beers that we do in keg format can differ quite wildly for, from the ones we do in cask, but hopefully the quality is, we, we do our best to make sure that the quality is still there for it. So the reason why we went back to it, I think was pro like for, firstly, f first and foremost, because we love the style and it's, you know, we believe in trying to get people to meet um, like f for us to make cask with, with in the way that we want to make it and for feeling that like hopefully the market is kind of receptive to it. So, yeah. That's great. Stu, as head brewer at Magic Rock, how do you work to ensure the quality and, and the condition of the beers you're sending out remains consistently high, especially because you're, you're not just sending them locally to markets like Huddersfield and around Yorkshire, but you're sending them to places like London, like Manchester. So how does Magic Rock work to ensure that you get the same experience or a similar experience in Huddersfield as you would in, in London? As, as far as the <coughs> cask beer goes, yeah. Uh, we endeavour to make sure that we package the beer so that it's at the right, it's at the right stage. Uh, the important thing with cask beer is that it, it can't be just left in a tank for a long period of time. The yeast will settle out naturally, uh, which which for the cask beer you don't want. So we've got to package it in the right the, the right length of time. We've got to keep it cold stored as, as long as possible, um, which we do at the brewery. Distribution-wise, it's got to go to the wholesaler and then to the pub as soon as possible. What the pub does it does with it from then on is kind of out of our control, but we, we generally hope that they'd sell it properly for maybe a week and uh, vent it and serve it serve it as it should be. Um, but generally speaking, just, you know, same as any other brewery with any other kind of beer and is clean everything as much as we can, clean the cask, make sure everything's clean and um, sterile and put the beer in it and just seal it all up and hope someone else looks after it further down the line. Do you think there needs to be more engagement between breweries and pubs? Because there are a lot of great pubs. Anyone who loves cask beer will have a handful of pubs. They know they're going to get a great conditioned pint of beer. But there are obviously many, many, many pubs that are not uh, doing that. Do you think there needs to be a stronger connection? How, how could we improve that relationship between breweries and pubs? Honestly, I don't think I know exactly. I don't have a. I don't have a way that we could really improve things. I know that I can. I feel like I can trust the what I would say the local trade a lot more with our beer. Um, I, I'd say I'd say knowing most of our local customers, I know they've they're the kind of people who've had cast beers on for years and years and years and know what they're doing with it. And when it goes up to wholesalers, I do worry a little bit. I, I worry if I might go to, I don't know, it might go to a relatively new trendy micro bar that's decided to get a cask line and maybe they, all they've done is stuck the cask under the bar at the front and or maybe they even just took the cask on the top of the bar and it's just sat there being warm for a few days. I don't, I don't really know. And that's the aspect of it that worries me a little bit. You know, if... if, if um, if somebody came along and said, you know, we've, we've got a... Uh, We've got a guest guest spot for Magic Rock cask beer 
in all the Fuller's pubs in London for a week. Brilliant. I know they know what they're doing with cast beer. It's all the little places we don't know that, that always worries me. And, and there's always a worry with cast beer. There's always a worry with all of our beers that it's going to go to somewhere that's cleaned their lines properly and has a cellar at the right temperature. Everybody's going to worry about that kind of thing. All the brewers, all the brewers at the hanging around at the back chatting between themselves and ignoring everything we're talking about. Uh, they all worry about that kind of thing. I know they do, but um, we just have, we have to do the best we can and hope for the best, really, in a way. I think it's opening up those conversations with your customers as well. Yeah. That's one thing that we spend a lot of time doing. Is uh, We're quite lucky in a way that about 80% of our cast beer stays... Um, within Yorkshire and over half of it. That was my, my next question. How, yeah, yeah, how much of your beer is in Sheffield yeah. and how important is that local market to yeah, you? Yeah, it's hugely important to us and because we're an established brewery 23 years old, so a lot of our customers have been with us for a long time and I think do know that they can, you know, kind of come back to us if there's something they're not sure of. And one thing that I do as well, because I manage all the social media for the brewery, I check untapped, which seems like a bit of a, you know, a nothing thing to do, but... Actually, if you notice a few customers saying, oh, this, this beer's tasting fusty, or is this supposed to be sour? Or, you know, a lot of the time it's complete noise, but sometimes you can pick up on the fact that, oh, maybe we better give this venue a call and see how things are going and what are they doing with that beer and doing it in a very non-confrontational sort of open way of how can we help you to make sure that you're presenting our product how we want it to be presented. Um, and yeah, that's that's something that, the brewery's kind of that's kind of grown with the, as the brewery has yeah i think like untapped is quite important to kind of see customer feedback i don't look at it directly but one of my colleagues does and he did notice that one of our customers had put on a cask ale the same day by see like that they that they had it delivered by seeing people checking into it and not marking it very favorably obviously because it was a cask ale that didn't have any time to settle they'd only just gotten it they just saw cloud water bing on totally disregarding the uh, 48 hour like you know leave let, let to settle for 48 hours like sticker that we put on our cascales i mean it's it's it is a really difficult struggle to try and kind of like convey that without like personally going there and just being like you are destroying your culture if you put this beer on too early um, <laughs> or if you leave it on way too long that's what you should put on the cask this in big it. letters <laughs> this is it like You'll you know beer <laughs> protect british culture <laughs> still it's this beer cask. or it's all over guys Qu question for laura you say that 80 percent of your your cast beer is being sold in the local market. What extra steps do you take for the beer that goes outside of that local market? Is it something you think about? And is it something you try to engage those customers when you send the beer further afield? Definitely. Um, it's all part of kind of growing the team. We've got uh, kind of people who work out in the field a lot more now that we've got, now that we do have those customers. Um, we do sell some of our beer through wholesale as well, uh, which obviously means that you do lose a little bit of the control that you've got there that is a worry. So it is, you know, kind of making sure we're just keeping in contact with them wherever we can, um, really making an effort to kind of find out where they're sending the beer onto and supporting them. However, you know, even if it's just chucking them a few beer mats, you know, it's still opening up that, uh, that kind of liaison with them. Um, and it's, definitely is something that's absolutely critical to ensuring that you know we know what's happening with our beer 
Doreen, when Cloudwater returned to Cask, you did uh, this huge survey of pubs and you asked pubs to apply uh, in a way. Because you almost were trying to vet the, 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 the pubs you wanted to see the beer in. And it, was, it seemed like a great step because it got people talking about a lot of venues that were looking after Cask. Um, so what was the importance of that process to you and what, what did you learn from, from doing that, from asking for pubs to get in touch with you? So we had it, we, like, we, I think we did two different surveys. We actually did, like, a survey for, like, the customers to kind of, like, tell us what pubs you think Cloudwater Cash should be in or, like, tell us, like, what are some of the pubs that do cask really well because, like, I want to know both, like, for, for a personal uh, for a personal reason, but as well as like just to kind of make sure that like our beer can go to some of the best places and like you know we're not om omniscient, we don't know everything, so it's 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 really good to know about like to, you know it, the, a lot of like kind of like where to drink Cascale is a lot of word of mouth at the moment. Um, you know you can't really just rely on um, like publications or what other people like what 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 websites say or like you know, a mark on a door or next to a door, you have to really kind of know. Um, and so it was a way of doing that and also for pubs themselves to kind of like tell us like, you know, how, how what, what's your cellar temperature? How often do you clean your lines? Like, I mean, it could have gotten even more in depth, uh, but it's, it was really hard to try and kind of gently steer the conversation to, or and like kind of like draw some thought about like this, this is the type of, place that we're looking for while also not trying to be patronizing while also kind of not being some sort of like kind of cascale dictator like here's us like brewing cascale like for the first time in years and this is what we want kind of thing but in a way that is sometimes actually kind of like what we do want we want we want people to kind of be better and to really kind of put care and like as much care as we do putting into the beer and in, in looking after the beer and that's um, and that's something that we find um, that there are a lot of people that are doing and there are a lot of people doing out there really well and those are the places that we really want to support um, in um, as customers as well as like as uh, as breweries in the trade we learned um from Casmark, um, the and their CAS report uh, last year that uh, cask beer is uh, in decline. Uh, it's down, it was down six six point eight percent year on year in the last twelve months, and then um, uh, more than uh, it's about twelve percent over the last two years. Uh, and some of the contribution to that is, is pubs closing down, but some of it is that people are buying less cask. And the reason that they were giving was that most beer uh, was too warm. And I think there's a lot more problems belligering cask than simply temperature. So I want to know from each of you, starting with you, Stu, what's the biggest problem in your eyes that cask is facing right now? I think generally cask is undervalued. The, the, big, the biggest reason why... So Magic Rock... Um, before our expansion and moving to our current location, uh, our current production site where we are now, which was 2015, prior to that we were 50-50 cask and keg split on all of our production. When we moved and expanded, we, uh, we installed a canning line, so we grew a huge amount of our production into uh, cans. Um, we also made more keg beer, 
And uh, for a good 18 months, our cask beer, while it didn't increase its percentage, it decreased its percentage of our overall production, it was actually around about the same volume of cask beer that we were producing. But uh, following probably the first 12 months of our production at our new site, we, we'd done... Um, We'd recorded a lot of data as far as all of our all of our kind of costs in in labour, in water, electricity, gas, our effluent water, and everything, um, and properly costed out the production of cask beer, and came to the conclusion that it costs as much as to produce per litre as keg beer costs to produce. And following that, we we increased our prices. Uh, our cask beer then saw a massive decline. The problem, the problem we see with our cask beer, as far as getting into markets concerned, is that for us, it costs as much as our keg beer costs to produce, but we can't sell it for as much. So we do, still to this date, make slightly less margin on cask beer than we do on keg. That's, that's that. I would agree. I think that's the biggest problem facing cask. Uh, is is it is treated as it should be the lowest common denominator, cheapest product on the bar when it costs the same to produce as any other beer. Um, uh, but people have an expectation of, of price, whether that's the customer, uh, whether that's the retailer, the, the pub uh, that's getting in those those casks, or even the distributor. Um, and it's 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 that's that's a case of not just informing the industry, but informing the customer, uh, and that's going to take. A long time and a lot of hard work, uh, but uh, hopefully conversations like this will plant the seed, and we'll start talking about it more. How about you, Laura? I mean, firstly, I definitely agree with uh, what Stu's saying about it being undervalued. I think, particularly coming from Sheffield, which is a particularly stubborn and price-sensitive market, um, where you do have a lot of there's a lot fewer keg lines in Sheffield generally than there are in. I think all of the cities of a comparable size because people just won't, you know, won't pay the difference for keg. But it's where did, where has that price difference come from? And it's that perception that I think really does need unpicking. Um, and when I first started working at Abbeydale, we priced all of our beer purely on ABV. Um, and it took a long time for us to kind of work with our customers and kind of educate those people as well as the people who are drinking the beer that you know your beer is worth what's gone into it um and i think that's a really important conversation that's still ongoing at the moment um i think the other thing that i'd uh, just throw in is um kind of all feeds into it but tied pubs as well which are really kind of restricting uh the access to market for for the actual uh, licensee of that venue and what they're able to buy and how much they're able to spend on it that i think is a real threat uh, to the industry, um, yeah, it's something that unfortunately I don't think there's any easy answer to. But you've just got to, as far as I'm concerned, keep doing what we're doing. You know, for producers like Cloudwater to be coming back into the cask arena and to kind of almost say, you know, when it's not cheap, you know, because it doesn't deserve to be. It's worth more than that. Um, and I think that kind of conversation that's been opened up will start to um, kind of sway the tide eventually but it needs us all to kind of pull together and to keep keep spreading the word that cask is worth more than what people are sometimes willing to pay how about you dorian what do you think is the biggest problem facing cask so all of these are very great answers but one of the things that i would also say is like 
when you're thinking about um, price points and stuff, it's also important to look at the person who's actually pulling the pint. Oftentimes, these are people that have been hired on for like £7.50, £8 an hour jobs, like, and the turnover in the hospitality industry in, in pubs, these people that are meant to kind of be pouring the beer and serving the beer, and meant to kind of care about the beer that we're producing, um, they're not earning enough, really, to incentivize them to give a damn. And it's so important for us to kind of recognize that gap in, um, in, in care, I guess, is, is because it, to me it's just kind of like, um, from, from having worked uh, behind a bar, um, it's, you know, it, you, you, you get like people that are behind a bar just to kind of like cover, um, supplement their kind of like full-time job or just kind of just earning some, some money. And it's, you know, they don't have to care. They don't have to learn how to um, tap a cask. They don't have to do all that. It's, it's, it's exemplary staff who actually will try and learn all those things and to learn how long it takes and to kind of taste a beer like periodically throughout a day to make sure that it's ready and like only serving it when it's ready. And, you know, like, Frankly, £7.50 an hour is not enough. Um, it's, it really is something that we really need to kind of like not insult the people that are looking after the, 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 at the end of the day, you know. Make them care about it, like, you know, cold glasses uh, that are clean so that we have the wonderful lacing, you know. Um, you know, line cleaning, all that stuff, you know. And once, once you lose somebody um, who knows and cares you know, you can tell, like, from a, from a pub or a bar. It's like once, you, once, like, a particular general manager, assistant manager, or even just kind of, like, chatty person who just loves beer, like, once they go, it's like you can see your sales die with him. Oh, yeah, it's a huge thing. The, the one thing that, that wasn't mentioned there was, is there, is there maybe too much cast beer out there? And this is something uh, that John Keeling, formerly of Fuller's, mentioned to me. It's like if you walk into a, a pub, and I think he was talking about London, where there might be eight or ten hand pulls on. If that same pub had three or four and was able to manage the turnover of those four hand pulls uh, and so that there was more throughput because there was less taps on the bar, um, then the quality of beer would increase. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think there's too much beer out there? Yeah, well, I 100% agree with the, uh, the analogy that the beer quality suffers when there are too many taps. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, 100%, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we've seen it in a local pub in Huddersfield, 100%. A um, couple of... Couple of you know, 18 cast lines and a couple of them do um, three or four 18 gallon casks a week which is amazing and yeah the bottom range they're lucky if they shift a cask a week and that cask will be amazing for two days and the rest of the time it's a bit meh no, nobody, nobody's going to drink another half of that you know so yeah you've got to shift the volume as, as far as being too many breweries too many beers available I, d I don't know they've the thi I think the thing with cask beer is you want to drink the local cask beer you know uh, the best the best quality providing the brewer's done his job right is going to be the local beer because it, it's going to be better than 
it's going to be it can be better definitely can be or should be better than the one that's travelled 200 miles yeah. what about you Laura do you think there's too much cast beer out there I don't think there's too much cast beer out there at all but I do think that for every brewery that cares about their cast beer that wants to make sure that it's worth what you're charging for it you've still got a number of breweries who will happily sell a nine gallon cask for 50 quid and have compromised on what they've put into it in order to do so and there are going to be pubs that still buy that and that try to drive down the prices so i think the i think the cask market's slightly less discerning than the keg market is at the moment but i think things are kind of starting to change at the moment and I think we'll continue to do so I hope we'll continue to do so and that quality will become a deciding factor that possibly will mean the closure of some breweries and a slight narrowing of the market but I don't think it will limit the choice available if that makes sense what are your thoughts Doreen is there too much cask out there um I don't think that there's too much cask out there but again like kind of what Laura said is quite um, quite poignant, and um, I would also say as well is that like I think um, I don't think a pub necessarily needs like eighteen cask lines. It's a bit, it's like why, unless unless you unless you're like your football grounds or something maybe. But I think one of the things that's kind of like with regards to publicans and um, the staff is that they need to know like what their customers can go through and kind of like you know plan accordingly um, if it looks like you know you have extraneous hand pumps like rather than trying to kind of flog bad beer please don't flog bad beer or or out of date beer or any of that like you know put put on a cider tap or just leave them just leave them and it's and it's okay <laughs> you know it's it's I think that like a pub can probably get by really well, uh, at least just like for t particularly for in London. It's like you only need like four hand pumps. Um, and many places that I see, even kind of like the newer uh, pubs and bars in even in Manchester and Leeds, they'll have like you know up to any anywhere from like two to four, and that's fine. It's like it's 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 nice to have the option. But you don't necessarily need to kind of like have a whole like plethora of 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 options just for them because it is like it's a it is a product that you want to have served in its best and you're not necessarily going to do that with that many lines i think i will kind of inherently trust a pub as well if you go into a pub on a tuesday night and they've got six cask lines but only two of them have got beer on yeah fine you go in on a saturday they've got all six going you know that's that's good seller management, that's knowing what you're selling and making sure that you're kind of I agree. the best out of what and, you've But what I, you've I have worked in a pub there. that had eight cast lines and only four were on because it was a Monday and, and people would come and complain and said, oh, book on the table, you're supposed to have eight beers on. Yeah. Like, yeah, but it's Monday. Yeah. It's, it, there's, an inch, it, you, there's a lot of uh, stigma yeah. to work through, I think. Yeah. The pub that's got all eight on on a Monday is flogging a dead donkey on the on at least four. Yeah. Of them. yeah. Absolutely. So that 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 brings to a point though is that we need more consumer 
awareness of all the intricacies that cask involve. Not just kind of like, you know, ah, it's real ale. It's like, no, it's more than that. Like, you need to know exactly like why this pub only has four cask ales as opposed to eight on a Monday. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you need to know more beyond like top pressure is bad. You know, it's, it's, it, which is which is a whole other argument I am not getting into, thank you. Uh, but like, there needs to be a little bit just kind of more and um, education about it. And like, at the end of the day, the people that they're going to turn to is not going to be is not going to be brewers like us. It's going to be the person behind the bar. So you want that person to be as well informed and as well trained as possible. But extraneous CO two. Join us tomorrow for extraneous CO two. Before. Be I think there'll be some, uh, I think we're going to hand over to the audience momentarily, but uh, last question from me to you, Stu, is uh, when are you going to bring back Retrospect? <clears throat> there's there's kind of been a, there's been a oh, semi-rebrew of Retrospect. California Shire was, was kind of a, like a, a revamp Retrospect for us. Ret the original ret Retrospect died when the Yorkshire Ellies we had bought to pitch in the last time we brewed it a few years ago had a wonderful estuary bananary character to it um, we, we don't buy yeast from there anymore um, I love those German wheat beer tinged mm, Yorkshire bitters exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we thought yeah the uh, the batter ringmaster that also got that yeast in it was was also wonderful for the effluent treatment plant, but um, <laughs> it it just it didn't sell. But now there's honest. a there's a there's it's a bitter not, revival. You know, most people for, for it's not a magic rock beer. Do you know what we we absolutely adore and love Taylor's uh, landlord. I personally would drink Acorn Barnsley Bitter over if it, you know if it, if I walked in a bar and it was on, and that was where I was spending the rest of my life. That's probably all I would drink. Specifically, the Acorn one. Yeah. 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 Not the, the, other, other the other ones are fakes. Yeah. I'm making my way into the audience. Got a question at the back here. Unless maybe I'd, I'd get a yeah, but we're recording of it. of Elder if that's on. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So what's been discussed is um, sometimes the issue with cask is not bad brewing, it's bad management. Do you think with the increased price of cask beer that the training should be down to the brewery to train the, the bars to make sure that the beer is served in the optimum in the optimum way, or should it be down to the bars? I think I think the breweries uh, should certainly be... Um, in, the breweries should definitely be leading the way as far as training uh, bar staff and bar managers, landlords, whatever you want to call it, that the person who is managing the bar, the seller, breweries should definitely be leading the way on that. Breweries are generally seen to be the responsible for all of the cellar equipment, the uh, the cooling and everything. So they should definitely be responsible for training the staff in the bar as well. Um, <laughs> 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 
if, if, if only. So we've got about uh, we've got about ten minutes for questions. So or or, or monologues. <laughs> I was just going to say how it's, I find it very difficult to go into a bar, uh, in the bar and say to the manager, maybe try and do this. You know, it, it kind of gets a bit. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. So that that's a real. I for me, I find that a real issue. But. Yeah. So I I used to work for a brewery, a different one, um, uh, that actually offered seller training to uh, some of its kind of like uh, regular customers, and like there was like a whole pub group. I won't name names. There was a whole pub group though that like declined, and they were like some of the customers that like took our beer like loads. And it was just kind of like, why? We are offering you a free, like, that we are paying for thing because we want our beer to be in the best nick possible. Another one is that we, when we had, like, uh, one of the pubs send uh, a member of staff who was just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're, who, who are we getting from here? It's like, oh, this, this guy who apparently is leaving in two weeks. So it's just kind of like there needs to be kind of, I guess, more communication and... Um, and I think part of that is not just like up to the brewers, it's not, but really it's up to the consumers. Because at the end of the day, like the product is like what we or, or you are all drinking. I mean, demand better, like from us, from brewers, and also demand better from, from your local pubs. Yeah. Questions? Yes. I'm going to come around to this lady first. Necessarily a question, more a sort of statement. But coming from, coming from Sheffield, where Laura hails from, um, we had this thing where, um, in years gone by, um, there was almost a competition, pub by pub, who could serve the best pint of stones. And um, you would go from, you know, one pub through to eighteen by the same beer, and it'd be in a different nick versus in every different pub, and that was amazing. Cast brewers now, unfortunately, have this almost terrible situation where they write a song and send it out for cover. Who covers it? Britney Spears or Led Zeppelin? <laughs> like, what the hell is going off? Like, which, one, you, which one's the bad one? You make your choice. <laughs> like, literally, you make your choice. Like. <laughs> The lack of oops, training running. Oops, you did it again, again sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, who makes that choice? And yeah, um, Doreen's point is really valid. Um, you know, I, I'm a general manager of a bar and think that Casper is fantastic and that seller training is crucial from the lowest level of bartending. And, um, and knowing, not even if you don't know how to tap or change a cask, but knowing how beer should taste and knowing like what the difference is between a green beer and a green that is perfect and a beer that is ripe and it, all the stages of flavour are key and unfortunately there aren't that many people that know that uh, know that and that was sort of all I really wanted to say yeah, yeah. The keg beer industry has kind of destroyed that a little bit because cask beer doesn't exist as much. Yeah, it's easier to look after. It's and I feel very proud coming from Marble, where we were trained to look like we were trained to look out for bad flavors, to learn how to look after beer. That that we like we were better. At, I, we felt like we were the best in Manchester at doing it. And it, yeah, I I completely agree with what you said. Yeah. Do we do we have any more questions? Any raise hands? Do you have? A, it's all right. 
I was just going to agree with pretty much everything. As someone who used to manage a pub, um, I think it does come down to what Doreen said, people aren't being paid enough. Like, I've had kids, £7.50 an hour, they're not going to give a shit about what they're pouring. They're just getting their pocket money for the week and it's difficult to then get them excited about what they're doing. And I think it's, that, it's a full circle, it's a circle situation. Willing to engage their staff at that kind of level. You know, the people are coming in who are doing their part-time hours and doing just like the Friday, Saturday night shifts and actually paying them decently and engaging them enough with the beer yeah. to make sure that they're actually learning something to make them think that they're actually going to go somewhere and make it a career rather than it just being a stopgap kind of little job. <laughs> any any questions? Does anybody else have any questions for our panel? Yes. Uh, just one quick question. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you guys are saying that uh, most of the the beers that you drink in your local area, your own beers in your local area. What kind of price do you expect to pay for your own beer in your own local area? Fiver. I'd pay, I, uh, landlord in for London is fines. Landlord in London is five pounds fifteen, <laughs> and that's fair. One hundred and ten pounds a nine. I can tell you categorically, it costs to. See, there's so. still uh, my local, uh, which is the sheaf that uh, Stu mentioned earlier. You can still get a pint for two pound fifty in there. Uh, that's that's like their house beer, um, but. I mean, even in there, which is a... It, <laughs> do, you have something, do you have something to say, Stu? I think, I think generally... Probably now looking about, maybe like... Moonshine probably averages blonde? about 3.30. Oh, no, actually. Made by a farmer. No. 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 Yes, yeah, great. Uh, fairly new to Sheffield Brewery, actually. It's owned by... Um, the guy who runs a few pubs in Sheffield and has done for years and years set up a brewery, um, Neep's End. Um, definitely, if you're ever in Sheffield, don't think their beer goes much further afield. Would recommend looking them up. They're a hugely improved brewery over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, it is a blonde that's two two fifty. Um, but yeah, I think generally in Sheffield, probably looking about between three twenty and three seventy a pint in a lot of the kind of cask heavy pubs. Um, I'd say in kind of the pubs that do more craft beer, um, you're looking at more kind of the four pound a pint kind of mark for cask as well as for keg. Um, but yeah, yeah, like high threes a pint. Yeah. Not I, I was in London. Realistically, between three seventy and four twenty is about normal. You and you could go to Weatherspoons and pay much less if you wanted to. But um, in some city centre pubs, it's uh, it's uh, don't go to Weatherspoons because you know they're because of Tim Martin. But um, <laughs> but uh, we've got time for one more question. If anyone has one, yes. As Amazon have stopped the uh, town shopping, do you think supermarkets will stop beer drinking? Oh. I'm going to stay out of this 
sales in the two years ago for the first time ever off sales overtook on sales and it's like 52 48 split the cursed ratio so <laughs> 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 um i as as i understand it that split's been coming for a very very long time um i know from reading books by uh, books, Pete Brown's books from ten, probably a lot longer than ten years ago. Mm -hmm. That um, you know, there there are way less pubs than there were fifty years ago because way less people drinking drinking beer in pubs. There are probably a lot more off licenses in supermarkets these days, and but, you know that's just the way the the trend and the way that social interactions are going and people 50 years ago didn't drink so much in their local pubs uh, sorry 50, 50 years ago people drank more in the local pubs in a way because their own home was probably a little less hospitable for the hospitable for them in the evening after work and what they wanted was down the pub and now a lot more is at home more pubs have closed i think Good pubs and bad pubs have closed at this, probably at a similar rate in in, in a lot of places, because um, even the good pubs maybe haven't done so well because less people are attending, drinking them, so that the at-home beer drinking market has increased substantially. So I think that I think that I think that that whole ratio is going to change towards off sales. Anything to add, guys? I think in some ways, like, there's been a lot of choice now in the supermarket, um, probably uh, with regards to what's being on offered now. I think, like, the most famous thing of, like, Tesco's getting um, quite a lot of beer in um, from uh, a lot of breweries that we're quite familiar with and whose beer we enjoy. Um, so you do have that. But another thing as well is that, like, I think... For, for us, like, we do have, like, quite a lot of online direct trade. Um, and that's simply because the pubs that are, that sell our type of beer are not in uh, the localities of some of these places that our beer is going to. Um, I know, like, from when I was talking about, um, from just running, like, the kind of, like, let's beer positive hashtag, and when I was thinking about, like, okay, guys, like, you know, when's the last time that you met your friends down at the pub, there were some people that responded back saying, like, there is no pub that serves the beer I want near me. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, but, like, I mean, it's, it's lucky for us that do have, like, great pubs to go to. But, like, you know, for those of us that are here, you know, we, we obviously like beer. We are in the middle of this wonderfully rainy uh, Scottish weather, like, here all to enjoy beer and to enjoy each other's company as well. But, like, for there are some people that just don't have that or, um, you know, it's much more convenient for them uh, rather than to go to the pub, um, especially if they're driving, especially if they're driving in that. Like, no, yeah, Okada can come to my house, thank you, and bring, like, whatever I want to order, um, like, whatever cans that I want them to. It's like... It, it, but I wouldn't say that that's going to be kind of like the death of pub culture. I mean, it's definitely a, one of many struggles of why pubs are having a hard time because of uh, the, the cost difference. Um, 
But I think that there are other reasons to go to pubs, and one of them is cast beer, because you can't get like a beautifully well-kept, well-loved, made like cask ale uh, through Ocado, or at Waitrose, or at, or at Tesco, or uh, Aldi, or wherever. You know, you might get a really nice German lager, but you can't get like a really wonderfully kept beer um, served from cask, maybe with a sparkler, if you like it. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a really good place to uh, bring things to a close. So just, uh, we're out of time, um, but we can continue this, this conversation uh, this evening, maybe over a, a pint or two of delicious Cascale. Thank oh, yeah. you so much for coming, and thank you to our panellists, Stu, Laura, Doreen, and to Jay for stepping in as well. Uh, thanks, thanks, guys, Jay. and we'll see you tomorrow for some more talks. Cheers, everyone. Y'all. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you're able to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider making a monthly donation via Patreon. You can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mag. Remember to subscribe, and if you can, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice, as this will help more people find the show. Until next time, I've been your host, Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to the Pellicle Podcast. <laughs>